But today we're talking about goals. We're talking about God-sized goals, which has kind of been our thing, right? Goals that are so big that like it's what God requires of us. Uh, and today we're actually going to talk about how these goals require like not just a God-sized attitude, not just a God-sized faith, not just like a God-sized mind or, or capability, but God-sized gratitude. Am I, am I thankful for the opportunities that God has given me? Um, and so it's going to be good. I want to ask you guys a question. What have you ever achieved? You ever ask yourself that? I, I find myself asking myself this a lot. Uh, I just, I don't know. I sit down and sometimes I just think like, what, what is it that I've actually done in life? Um, you know, that's, it's such a challenging question, especially I think at the age that you guys are where you're getting ready to either like go into high school or even graduate high school and go to college. And, um, you know, it's like, what, what have I even done with my life? You know, uh, what is actually like the best thing you've ever done? You know, think about that. Like what's like the biggest, biggest goal, the biggest end all thing that I've ever done, my greatest achievement. Um, in fact, actually, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you, the person next to you, and I want you to tell them what your biggest achievement is. I want you to brag about yourselves. What's your biggest achievement? And go. Will someone tell me what their biggest achievement was? This guy, yes. You beat the under dragon in hard mode. Okay. We're going to work on setting some loftier goals today. Okay, buddy. You and me, we're going to meet later, and we're going to talk. <laughs> yeah, what's your you technically play seven instruments. That's impressive. A little bit of piano. That's your seventh. Tink, tink, tink. Wow. I can't play any of those, so that's impressive. Yes. Did you, like, build it? Oh. Wow. Dang. That's impressive. That's cool. Andrew, what's up? You what? You deadlifted 275. That's a lot more than I can deadlift. I don't think I even know what deadlifting is. Is that, is that the one where like you squat and like your butt's out? Is that like that one? Yeah, it's that one. Okay, that's impressive. Perrin? Wow, look at you. My high school PR was 1850, so let's see if you can beat me. Eight seconds. I got eight seconds on you. I'm a lot fatter now. My PR is like 30 minutes, maybe, if that. It's like... Oh, give me water. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. I've got to tell you guys, I, I've done some pretty cool things, uh, if I can just brag about myself. I've, I've got some really good achievements. Um, one of my best achievements at a high school uh, was uh, I helped my class pull off the senior prank my senior year. It, it is one of the greatest senior pranks in Burris Laboratory School history. Uh, it is, actually. Uh, B, you've probably heard of it. Maybe, probably not. She's like, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, so when I was a senior in high school, this is a great story. Uh, we had an athletic director, Chad Walderick is his name. Uh, Chad's going to love getting a shout-out in one of my sermons. This is hilarious. Chad is, is a great guy, and uh, Chad and I got along really well. I was an athlete in high school, and um, I convinced Chad, since Chad was an athletic director, he uh, was considered administration over the Burris building, right? And so I convinced Chad to leave the doors unlocked uh, to our high school one evening. And uh, very, very late, about midnight, we all park. If you've ever been to Burris, you know, like the backyard is like the big playground. It used to be way cooler than it is now, but uh, that's where we all parked. So we like, kind of hit our cars behind the playground. 
and we sneak into uh, our high school at midnight, right? Uh, and that's, that's, that's key timing, okay? Remember this, when you, if any of you are seniors or when you become a senior in high school, because you're going to want to pull off a senior prank, and you don't want the janitors to be in the school when you get there, okay? So, like, our janitors, they didn't come in. I think they worked, I think they came in at, like, 2 a.m., I think. So it was, like, in at midnight, got to be out by 2. Let's figure it out. And so I convinced Chad to leave the doors unlocked for us. So for whatever reason, he did. Uh, I don't know what I, I must have lied or something. And so we get into the school, and the way that Burris is set up, it's got these big open staircases, right? And uh, so we saran wrap the tops of all the staircases, all the way up, right? And then we saran wrap, like, the bottom step, you know, so, like, nothing will, like, fall out. And we fill the staircase with balloons, right? Full of balloons, can't get through, right? Uh, and then after that, we put w- balloons like over the tops of the water fountain, you know, where, like the water squirts out. And then we turned on the water fountain, so it was like full of water, so no one can use the water fountains. And then we had this teacher um, named Brad Canada. I think, is Brad still at Burris? Is, that, is Canada still there, B? Do you know? He teaches social studies. Yeah, he's kind of a goober. He's great. I love Brad. Best teacher I've ever had. One of the like best teachers ever. And uh, we go into Brad's classroom, and we flip everything upside down, right? So, like, it looks like as if you're walking on the ceiling in his classroom all of a sudden. So, like, the desks are upside down, and, like, the posters are upside down. And I think we flipped the whiteboard, too. I think we were able to get that off the wall and, like, flip it. So everything's upside down. And we pull this off all the night before we go on a senior volunteer trip. So we're not even at school the rest of the week to get in trouble for it. (laughs) And it was awesome. It worked out. Uh, It went really, really well. Um, And then like the next morning, uh, we go to our volunteer trip. It was actually at the Muncie Mission. And so we show up at the Muncie Mission at like 7 in the morning. And uh, Brad Canada was our, uh, he was our, um, what's it called? Like chaperone right? And so me and my buddy Noah, I picked him up in my truck, and we walk in, and uh, he glares at me from across the room, right? And so we're in there. It's like, if you've never been to the Muncie Mission, it's like this big non-for-profit here in town, and it's a ministry. And uh, so, like, the guy is, like, talking up front, you know? Like, he's at the front of all these kids, and he's like, this is what we do, and we help the homeless, and da-da-da. And we walked in kind of late, and Brad Canada's, like, right over there, right? And he's just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so like nostrils flaring, like just glaring at us from across the room, right? Uh, but we did get away with it. It was my greatest achievement. I don't know how we got away with it. For whatever reason, we didn't get in trouble. Brad, I mean, Brad ripped us a new one. He was like, you guys are terrible, and I just, your class is driving me nuts, and I can't take it anymore, and da 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 and, uh, But he's fine now. He got some counseling. He's okay. Uh, I hope. <laughs> I'm assuming he's fine. I don't know. We'll see. I'll check in with him on Monday. I'll come to Burris on Monday and say sorry, Brad. That's my greatest achievement, one of my best achievements. Uh, it was just so much fun. And it, it kind of reminds me of what we've been reading in Nehemiah, uh, where, like, in Nehemiah, he, like, comes up with a plan. He's, like, prepared, you know. He's got the strategy figured out. And uh, he recruits a bunch of people to help him, right, and all these different things. And um, I don't know. It's just, it's got to be one of my best achievements, I think. I haven't achieved a lot, so that's probably the top of the list. Uh, that, that's tough, so I'll have to analyze that later. Uh, but as you guys know, we've been in Nehemiah, right, and talking about goals. And uh, if you remember, in the earlier chapters of Nehemiah, we've been through chapters like one through four, 
And like in these earlier chapters, Nehemiah has some huge goals and eventually big achievements, right? He's got like the biggest senior prank of all time, which is rebuilding Jerusalem. Uh, and it's pretty neat. And so he, he kind of plans this whole thing. And basically what happened, to give you guys context for where we're going to go, if you haven't been here, it's like 140 years before Nehemiah is written, uh, Jerusalem gets destroyed, right? The enemy comes in, conquers Jerusalem, burns it to the ground. Uh, and scatters God's people. And so God's people are just like all over the region. No one knows where anybody is. Uh, and they're kind of falling into sin. Like they're not sticking with God. And God like kind of promises them. He's like, listen, like I know Jerusalem's been destroyed and you don't have a home, but you'll return. And so like 140 years after that, the people are finally coming back. Um, and so, you know, Nehemiah has this one huge goal. His goal is like, okay, all the people are coming back. We're coming back home like we've got to rebuild it. And so Nehemiah gets charged with like fixing the city, but like despite being like mocked and ridiculed and like he got some death threats and like some crazy stuff happens to him, they actually rebuild it, right? And uh, I don't want this to get lost, but like in, in this story, like the city of Jerusalem kind of resembles like what the people's faith is towards God, right? Like it's, it's like a metaphor for their faith. And so like there, there's two reasons that they have to rebuild it, right? One is a spiritual reason, okay? So like without walls around the city, without you guys being protected and safe, okay, if you leave it just in shambles, like you're basically saying that your relationship with God is in shambles, right? Like you're basically saying like, I have this problem, it's too big, God cannot fix it, and I do not want to be in relationship with him, right? And so God's people are like, well, we got to rebuild the city if we want to stay in relationship with him. And so they do that. And then there's also like the practical reason, right? Like you don't have a home, <laughs> you know, like God's people are homeless, right? So like practically, I should probably build something. I don't know, just a thought, right? And then like if they don't rebuild the walls too, like they're going to come in, get conquered again and scattered all over the place, right? So like this is like, again, I know I've used this example a few times, but like I'm assuming most of you live in Muncie. If you don't, that's cool. But like I live in Muncie, right? So if Muncie gets bombarded tomorrow and like my house is in shambles, like me and my friends and my family, we're probably going to get scattered, right? And so if we want to come back together, we're going to want to come back to what's familiar and that's Muncie, right? So God's people are doing the same thing, but just with Jerusalem, and so that's what's happening. And so, like, months after planning and praying, Nehemiah's, like, figuring it out. He's working it out in his head. And uh, after all of this, he gathers God's people, and they rebuild Jerusalem in 52 days, like a month and a half-ish, right? So, like, they get together in, like, January. Their New Year's resolution is to rebuild Jerusalem. And so by, like, mid-February, they're done, right? Insane, insane. I mean, just think about this. Like, they didn't have, like, cranes, you know, like they didn't have like, I don't know, jackhammers, like whatever you would use to rebuild a city. Like they have nothing, right? Uh, they're just some scattered people. And so it's a huge deal. Uh, and so Nehemiah like accomplishes this goal. God's people finish building the city. Um, and then after that, uh, what we'll read today is Nehemiah parties hard, bro. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like Nehemiah goes all out. And uh, so we can actually learn this really cool lesson out of this, out of this section of Nehemiah. It's the last few chapters that we're going to breeze over. Um, in the way in which Nehemiah celebrates his victory through God. Uh, it's just this insane thing. And so, um, you know, like Nehemiah's goal, 
Like it gets accomplished. And so like when he accomplishes it, actually to give you context, what'll happen, we're going to be reading in Nehemiah 6. And so uh, if you guys have your Bibles or if you have like your phone Bible or whatever, that's cool. Uh, turn to Nehemiah 6, 15 through 16 is the verses. And um, in this, we see like Nehemiah accomplishes his goal, but then like not only his people are blessed, but like other nations and other people around them also become blessed. They actually also like start turning towards God. And so it's just this cool story. Um, and so like basically what's going to happen is like, uh, I'll just have to read it to you. It's just so good. And so it's actually called, the section of my Bible calls it, the wall is finished. And so verses 15 through 16, chapter 6 of Nehemiah, it just says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. That's like April. We'll say that's April. Okay. So on the fifth day of the month of April and 52 days, they finished it, right? And when all our enemies heard of it, I want you to hear this, verse 16, so good. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. Two verses, really short. I just think that's so cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, here they are, God's people, scattered, weak, nothing to their name. And, like, they rebuild their home city 52 days, which is already kind of insane. Like, 52 days to rebuild a city, that's pretty insane. And like, there are, there are whole buildings that don't get built in 52 days, okay? Like, so they rebuild the city in 52 days, and everyone around them, right? Not just Not just their people, not just their friends, not just like their group, but everyone around them, right? Do you hear what it says? It says it felt greatly in their own esteem. It means that they thought that they were like hot stuff. And then they were like, oh, God's people just rebuilt the whole city in 52 days. I can't touch that. And because they're so amazed by what God does, and because they're so amazed by what God's people do, it says, for they perceive that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. That's insane, Right? Like, that should tell us, like, when we set God-sized goals and we're pursuing what God wants us to do and then we complete it, it's not just going to point to us, right? It's not just going to be about me. It's actually going to point to something greater than myself. It's just neat. And so I want you guys to stay with me. So we're going to go now to Nehemiah 8, two chapters over. Right? This is, think about this. This is how crazy Nehemiah parties, okay? Nehemiah parties so hard that there's like four chapters of the Bible written on the party. Like, that's insane. You know what I mean? Like, that's just nuts. Uh, and so, in Nehemiah 8, just to give you guys context now at this point, the, the God's people have been partying for about a week, right? Just hanging out, having a good time. Like, we've got our city. And uh, there's this guy named Ezra. Ezra writes the book before Nehemiah, and so they kind of go in tandem. So if you ever like decide you want to read Nehemiah on your on your own, read Ezra with it because they kind of like go together. And um, Ezra eventually, through some different things, he gets made the priest and the scribe of the Jews. Okay, so he's like the religious leader of the Jews at this point. And so uh, they're kind of starting out their celebration. And so Ezra walks out, and Ezra's like, "Hey guys, I'm here," uh, and it's kind of like. You know, like, I don't know, you go to, like, a gathering, and people pray at the very beginning. You know what I mean? It's like, we're going to have a good time, but let's pray real quick, right? Like, that's what Ezra's doing. He's like, hey, everybody, going to pray real quick, round up the troops, and then we'll get started. And so Ezra starts praying, um, and he starts reading some of God's law. And again, think about this. God's people have been scattered, nowhere near us, right? Not near to each other. And when God's people are scattered, 
historically, they fall away from him, right? So now, as they've rebuilt the city, they're perfectly safe inside, and they've come back together. Now, all of a sudden, they might actually be hearing God's word for the first time together after 140 years of being scattered. And uh, it's just cool. So Ezra starts reading and, and dedicating why they're celebrating, and he actually leads God's people back, back to God. And we actually see Nehemiah's God-sized goal is so moving and so powerful, the whole nation of God's people actually turn back. And you'll see in these verses, like, the people actually, like, weeping, like, because they're turning back to God. It's just cool. So uh, 8, 9 through 12. Um, and it's just cool. Again, my Bible, the section is titled, This Day is Holy. Chapter 8, 9 through 12, it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor... So he was the political leader. And Ezra, the priest and the scribe, the religious leader, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law, right? They're being convicted. They're hearing like who God is and why he cares for them and how they've missed him for 140 years. And so it says, for all the people wept. They heard the word of the law. And then verse 10 says, Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing, for this day is holy to our Lord. He says, don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm going to read that one more time. Don't be grieved, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's huge. It's huge. Uh, And so he keeps going, Lord of the joy of strength. And then verse 11, so the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. That's so neat. Um, You know, Nehemiah, he sees how his God-sized goal, right, this one thing that he had, this, this, this actually just kind of a crazy idea in the back of his mind in chapter 1, right? He sees how it's come full circle at this point, right? He sees how, like, this little silly, maybe God wants me to do that thing comes full circle, and all the people are, like, turning to God, and he's like, listen, like, I know that you're feeling some conviction. I know that, like, you maybe want to change some things. Like, we do need to change some things, but, like, it's time to celebrate, it's time to celebrate what God has done. Uh, and can I just say, like, I want you guys to hear this. We as Christians need to not be afraid to celebrate when God does something extraordinary in our lives. Uh, we just, man, as Christians, I tell you, and I do this too, I'm, I'm so guilty of it. We just live terrified of celebrating what God clearly has done in our lives. All the time. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just a silly thing we do. I think it's mostly like American Christianity, honestly. It's just like the culture that we live in. Um, try not to be too outward, not, not be too crazy. Uh, you know, I don't want them to judge me for what I believe. But, like, God's doing insane things in some lives right now. Um, some of your lives right now, God's doing some insane things. Um, and... Well, sometimes we just live in fear of like being able to celebrate what God Almighty has done, and we got to stop doing that. Like we got to celebrate, um, and so we see in the text like this festival of praising God for His goodness. It lasts an entire week, 
right? Week-long celebration, four chapters of the Bible written on it. And it's focused solely on worship and what, reflecting on like what God has done in their lives. And I, I really want to ask this too. I just want to know, like, do we do this and we accomplish anything? You know? Like, how much of a struggle is it for us to really celebrate, like, when we win, what God has done? You know? I mean, we just don't do it enough. Or it's even more challenging. Like, do we celebrate God when we lose, right? We don't. I, I don't. I just, I struggle with that. I mean, even if it ends in a dead tie, right? Like, even if it didn't work out the way we wanted, but it kind of worked, do we celebrate what God has done in our lives? Are we thankful for what God has done in our lives? I don't know. It's tough. That's uh, tough. Keep, keep reading with me because it just it gets better. The party goes on. Uh, and this will be, I think this is, yeah, this is like one of the last two sections I'm going to read. Um, Nehemiah 9, so now chapter 9. We were 6, 8, 9 now, so that's four chapters. I think there's actually five chapters written on the party. So that's insane. But chapter 4, or I'm um, sorry, chapter 9, the fourth chapter, chapter 9. Verse 26 through 33. Um, this, this section's cool, too. It just says, like, this is God's people reflecting on how they got where they are. Uh, and maybe we need to do that. You know, maybe we just need to take, like, some spiritual inventory uh, and just say, like, you know, how did we get here? And what's cool is, like, the people, you'll see this in the text, as they're reflecting, they're thinking, like, well, like, we're, we've done some good. Like, we've built Jerusalem but my mom and dad didn't, and grandpa didn't show up to help, and my uncles were off doing something else. And so it's like they're, they're like examining not just themselves, but like what generations before them have done. And um, such a challenge to, I think, some of you guys today, because like I know there's some of you in this room that like if, if you really reflect back on life, and if you really look back specifically through like your family line, right? There's some of you that I know are just going to be like, my parents didn't show up spiritually. Mom and dad didn't, they didn't read the Bible, didn't go to church, they don't take me to church. Um, you know, and, and some of you, if, if you're a nerd like me and you look into your family history, you may go back even farther. And you're like, man, grandma and grandpa didn't, didn't lead mom that way. And uh, my uncles were kind of jerks, and they didn't really care about spiritually leading anyone. And so actually, like, there's this trend in youth ministry right now, and I'm just going to go in on this for a little bit. I didn't have this written down, but hey, who cares? I'm here. Uh, there's this trend in youth ministry right now where we're seeing that, like, like, kids and then, like, their kids and then their kids and then their kids suffer spiritually, and it all starts, like, way back when with, like, the great-grandpa, you know? Huge thing. Huge thing. Um, and I remember like when Josh and I were together up here, uh, Pastor Josh and I were doing that series on parenting. Well, not really parenting, but like relationships, you know? And we talked about how like there's like this lineage of like if, if one person decides to follow God, that like the rest of their kids and their kids' is kids and their kids' is kids' is kids and their kids' is kids' is kids' is kids' is kids, they all, did I say that wrong? I think I added an extra kids in there. I don't know. Um, but like they all start to follow God or they don't follow God because one person didn't decide to. And so, like, the people of God are reflecting on that right now in Nehemiah. They're, they're looking back, and they're going, 
mom and dad didn't show up for me, or like my mom, she was kind of spiritual, but dad wasn't, so we didn't really go to church, and now I go to Glad Tidings Student Ministries sometimes, and I, I'm trying to have a relationship with God, but I don't know what that looks like. It's hard stuff. Um, and, and so anyway, and so like they're just kind of reflecting on the good stuff and the bad stuff. And so like do we like, here's another question for you, like do we reflect on our struggles with God? Right? Just us personally even. Don't even, you don't even have to go back in your family history. That's fine. But like, do we reflect on our struggles? Do we reflect on like the gift of goals and wisdom from God? And then like, do we reflect on God's goodness in the whole process, in the whole time that he spent on us? Uh, I don't know. It's just challenging. Just read this with me real quick. 9, 26 through 33. Um, it just says, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets. So this is them reflecting. They're thinking back. They're like, this is what we did. All this junk, right? And so it says that like, they did so much, they did all this crap, and we killed your prophets and had warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemy who made them suffer. And in the times of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven, and according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Verse 28, but after they had rest, they did evil again, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Are you guys seeing a pattern here, right? You see in this pattern of like God's people constantly like getting saved by God, like God saved us, we're safe, uh, but we're going to turn away again. Right? This happens throughout like the entire Old Testament. It's just going to be a thing if you ever read the Old Testament all the way through. Um, so and then verse 29, and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. God warned them. He gave them wisdom. Yet they acted presumptuously, and they didn't obey your commandments, and they sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And it says they turned a stubborn shoulder. They stiffened their neck, and they wouldn't obey. Listen to this. Verse 30 is, is insane. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they wouldn't give an ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the people of the lands. And then 31, this is, this is the kicker. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. It's God's character on display. Uh, verse 32, uh, two more verses. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, all our people. And in verse 33, yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. That is like, man, what a chunk of scripture. <laughs> That's so tough, you know? Um, I just wonder, like, can we do this t today as Christians in 2020, right? Can we look back on our life, on the lives of our families, and look at the cards maybe we've been dealt, but then also look at, like, what we've done and how we've reacted and how we've invested in what God has given us? And can we say, like, I made a mistake there, and God, I acted wickedly there. God, I fell into sin there. And, 
Um, but then after that, like, you know, hear him say this too. Like, it's not just one-sided story. Like, he continues on. He goes, God, like, you're gracious. You're merciful. You do this for me. You've done this for us. And, like, you make good on your promises. And, like, I just, I want to know, can we do that? Like, can we do that as students, as youth today? Like, can we look back on, like, our short lives at this point? Right? I got 22 years under my belt. It's not much. <laughs> can I look back on 22 years and can I go, God, I screwed up there. I messed that up, but you've been gracious. You've been faithful. I want to know if we can do that. Um, you know, when the goal was achieved by Nehemiah and his people, they give so much credit to God. It's, it's really cool. Um, and, you know, again, I'm going to say it again. Can we look past ourselves and give our creator some credit, you know? It, it's very easy. I, I remember what it was like in high school, uh, high school, middle school, whatever, to feel like I've got to get the credit. Uh, I, I've struggled with that my whole life too. Man, just like, uh, I've got to feel like I got recognized, you know? I've got to feel like everyone noticed what I did. And um, man, not enough times in my life have I been able to like, and I should do this, gone to God and been like, Got to give you credit, <laughs> you know, like, got to say thank you, you know, it's just, I don't know, and, you know, we look at what Nehemiah does, he praises God, he remembers what God's done, he's acknowledging, like, his people are acknowledging their shortcomings, they're like, we fell way short way back when, 140 years ago, and then they just say thanks, they're like, thanks for that, it's awesome stuff, um, and so this brings us to the key point that I'm going to get at with you guys today on the word reconciliation. Reconciliation, it's a long word. I had to look it up. It means being brought back to something, right? Amending something, fixing something, reconciling. And so we're going to go, again, this is the last time I'm going to have you guys flipping your Bibles. You're like, man, we're reading a lot of chapters today. Chapter 10, Nehemiah, verses 28 through 39. Uh, uh, this is just a cool little section. I just want to read it real quick. It, it's called the Obligations of the Covenant. And so what happens here in chapter 10 is God's people are finally back in Jerusalem. They're, they're set, they're happy, they're safe, they're good. And uh, they decide to make a covenant with God again, right? A covenant is a promise. They're like, God, we promise you we're going to follow your laws and obey your commands and do these things. And God kind of promises them, like, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to grow you. Like, you guys are going to be fine. And so this section is the obligations of the covenant. Obligations. It means what you have to do. So verses 28 through 39. 28 says, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, everybody, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, and their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, everybody, they join with their brothers, they join with the nobles, and they enter into a curse and an oath, okay? Curse in the Bible is kind of like saying a promise. It's not really like, ooh, spooky. You know what I mean? It's not like that. It's like, it's like this promise through this oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord. Verse 30 says, we will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. So this is a weird little section, just to give you context here. Basically what's happening is like God's people continuously, uh, they like intermarry with other cultures and other, other different types of people from different lands. And what they realized was like when they would marry off their kids to other people's kids, 
other people weren't living biblically, okay? Other people were not Christians. Other people, actually, this time, other people weren't Jewish, right? And so they'd marry them off to people that followed, like, random weird gods or no god at all. And so what that would do is, like, that would bind their families together because that's what marriage does. If you don't believe that, trust me, you'll have in-laws one day, and you will be binded with them. <laughs> Let me just say that. Uh, and so, like, basically what would happen is, like, they would, like, their kids would get married, and then their kids would start following the other person's gods, Right? And so, like, whole generations of God's people keep getting lost. And so God's people are like, hey, we're not going to do that anymore because we keep turning away and it's not working, right? So that's what's going on there. Then 31, nevertheless, oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> Wrong side. Uh, where were we? We were at 30. So verse 30 says, we will not give our daughters to the people of the land. And then 31 says, and if the people of the land bring in goods or grain, if they try to trade, uh, on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them. Or on a holy day, we really won't buy from them. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So that's them saying, like, we're going to keep back some money for God, basically. And in 32, we take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of our income for the service of the house of our God. Uh, and so he kind of reads on. He's like, we're going to buy all this stuff for God, and, and we're going to create the temple, and we're going to buy bread, and we're going to do all this stuff. Uh, and then 38, it says, And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites. And the Levites will receive the tithes, and Levites shall bring up the tithes. And 39, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil. Uh, and so... It's just interesting. It closes out this verse. Sorry, I'm bouncing around a lot. If you guys are trying to read with me, you're probably like, what is happening? Uh, the very end of this verse, 39, says, we will not neglect the house of God. Uh, God's people had this problem at this time with neglecting God's house, God's temple. They wouldn't go worship. They wouldn't do it the right way. They wouldn't try to talk to God, and that's why they fell away from him. So this is them saying, like, we're going to do all this stuff to make sure that we still follow God because God has blessed us. Uh, and so, you know, this is kind of like God's people finally repenting, finally turning back to God. And so, like, think about what this process is, right? This is an insane process of, like, one regular guy, Nehemiah, Joe Schmo, okay, cupbearer for the king. He gets inspired by God, and he risks everything, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He gathers all his people. They go back home where it's been burned out and blown up. And then they rebuild their home in this like insane act of worship. 52 days. And after all that, the people finally are able to say, it's time to go back to God. It's time, it's time to turn back. And they don't, notice they don't just say sorry. Uh, there's, man, there's a lot of Christians today that think that, like, we just need to say sorry and we're good. Um, and that's just silly. No, nowhere else in your life uh, will you ever, to my knowledge anyway, say sorry and then it's good. Uh, that's, just, that's just part of it. It's, it. I know it feels like it should be that way, but there's actually more required of you, right? A lot of the times, like, when you say sorry to someone... Uh, that's cool, and you can go your separate ways. But if you really love that person, right, if you really care for that person, you don't just end it on saying, I'm sorry, right? Typically, you follow up that I'm sorry with, like, a change in behavior. 
you know? Um, I used to drive my wife nuts, my poor, poor, sweet wife. I still drive her nuts, let's be honest, Um, because I would just do silly things, right? Like when we first got married, I had lived with five other dudes uh, before I married my wonderful wife, and my wife really likes a clean house, and I really don't care. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man, I got John in the back like, amen, yeah. (laughs) He's like, duck, (laughs) right? And uh, there were so many times where, like, I'd just leave my stuff around the house. And, man, it drove her nuts. Like, right? And so finally we got to this point in our marriage where, like, I had to be like, hey, I'm sorry. And she had to tell me, like, Isaac, I'm sorry is not good enough anymore. Uh, I swear. You can go ask her. She's out there somewhere with Joanna. Um, And, man, it hit me hard because I was like, no, like, you got to have grace with me. Like, I just said, I'm sorry. Just forgive me and move on. And she's like, no, Isaac, because every time, like, you say you're sorry for leaving your stuff around the house, you don't change your behavior, right? And I didn't. It's true. I was awful at it. And uh, so, like, what I'm saying is, like, I love my wife, right? I love that girl. So, like, if I want to actually go full on through this thing, I don't just say I'm sorry. I had to change my behavior, And can I just say, like, that's kind of what God asks us to do. And there's a lot of Christians that don't think that way, and I don't know why, because it's clearly what the Bible says. Um, And this is not just a loose apology, okay? Like, when we are, like, actively stuck in sin or actively, like, stuck in our lifestyle, and we say, God, I'm sorry, I want to turn back to you, that's great, but, like, you got to actually turn. you got to actually turn back to God. Right? This is called repentance. It's not just a loose apology. It's actually like the act of me realizing I'm stuck in my wrong and I need God's grace to fix me, and so I'm going to change my ways. Because if I don't, I'm going to keep going. And so it's not the act of just apologizing. It's, it's fully changing who I am as a person so I can follow God more accurately. Um, so, you know, sorry's not it. For God's people here. Uh, it's part of it, but they've got to change. And this is the ultimate God-sized goal. Can I preach that for just a second? Like, this is the goal. Uh, turning around, changing our lives, not living the way the world wants us to. And I just want to know, like, are we ready for that? Are, are we ready to literally, like, turn our lives around and follow God? That's the biggest God-sized goal you can have today. Um, and so the Jewish people, they're actually showing a deeper level of gratitude in this, in this text. Um, I don't know. I just think that's neat. And so I want you to think about this. Nehemiah's goal originally just started with him and God. You guys remember this in chapter 1. And over time, the goal actually outgrew him. He needed to get other people involved, right? So he gets other people involved. Uh, and as more people get involved, so then does the passion for the goal. And so at this point, Nehemiah is no longer alone in his passion to see people turn back to God, right? He's got tons of people around him. And sometimes it feels this way as a Christian until we involve other people, right? Sometimes it feels like I've been there, but like I'm the only guy in the room that cares about Jesus, Right? But then it's like you get people around you that care about him, and all of a sudden, like, we're taking off. We're leading other people. We're turning lives around. Um, and, man, that's the goal, you know? And so I'm going to close real quick. I, I am. Uh, I promise. I'm, I'm getting to the end here. But throughout this series, I've asked you guys 
if you created a God-sized goal yet, right? Not just the basic, I want to be better at this, I want to do that, I want to go there. Uh, no, like a real goal for God. And um, we've learned some things. We've learned that big difficulties inspire these goals, right? I'm in a challenging situation, so I want to do this to fix it for the Lord. Uh, and if you're still hunting for that, like, look where there's real difficulty in your life. This is an invasive question right here. Look at, look at me, because this is good. Like, if you're hunting for, like, a God-sized goal, if you're like, where do I go from here? Like, look for difficulty first. It's very easy to solve simple problems in your life. But if there's difficult issues, difficult things, start there. Let's, let's just start there. We've learned that we're designed for this. You're actually created uniquely by God. If you didn't know that, you are. You're created uniquely to actually pursue goals for his kingdom. That's insane. Uh, and then finally, we learn that God gives us strength to pursue these goals. And so that brings us to where we're at today, uh, wondering how can we thank God for what we've accomplished or what will we accomplish I want you to think about what God's people did. What can you celebrate with joy, right? What can you look back on in your life and go, God did that. It was insane. I say that a lot. It was so cool, right? God did that for me. Or what progress have you made with God already, right? Some of you in this room, I've, let, I've read some of your student leadership applications, and man, some of it just blows my mind. Like where you guys were like a year ago or five years ago to where God has brought you now, like... Man, I want to celebrate that, you know? How can I give God more credit? How can I, like, tell God, yeah, that, was, that was him, wasn't me, wasn't me? Here's the real kicker. What promises can I make to God today? That's, that's it right there. Um, can I promise God that I want to follow him today? That's tough. That's really tough, right? Can I, can I promise God that I'm going to change today? Can I promise God that I'm going to do something for his kingdom today? And so I just want to close and ask you guys this. This is, this is it. This is the kicker here. Let me finally ask, what's next for you? We should be fired up out of the book of Nehemiah right now, right? Like that book is insane, uh, right, like God just gives this little average dude just like some crazy goals, and he does it. And that should inspire us as God's people to want to go do something for him. And so, like, what goal is God inviting you to set today? And more importantly, when are you going to start? When are you going to start? I'm, I'm going to pray us out real quick. Dear God, uh, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, all the youth in this building again, God. They are just um, so awesome, so cool to just have so many kids here uh, that just want to follow you, Jesus, uh, and just want to live their lives for you, God. Um, God, I pray for just any, like, lost and hurting students in the room today. Um, God, students that just need to turn around and follow you. Um, I know how scary and how challenging that decision is, but it was the best decision I ever made. Um, and so, God, I just pray over that specifically today, God. Um, God, I pray that you would just grant 
these youths just like wisdom and insight into what your plan is for them. Uh, God, I just know that you have created them all uniquely with plans to serve you, and what an honor that is. Uh, And so, God, I just ask that you would just grant them wisdom for that. Uh, God, and give me the uh, strength and the ability and the words to lead them in that if I can. Um, God, so we just thank you for this day. Uh, It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.